Welcome to the Be With Podcast with me, your host, Barbara Roshna. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome to the second interview in our three-part interview series for Winter Solstice. If you don't know what I'm talking about right now, maybe you didn't listen to the last two episodes. I don't know. That could be it. You maybe are just really excited about this episode with Rachel Maddox. In which case, you have two choices. You could just listen to it, and that would be totally fine. But then you would be missing out on half the magic, which is listening to the intro, episode number nine, where I really explore the connection between winter solstice and trauma and how, you know, the two are parallel experience, this living, breathing metaphor for how it is in our light meeting our darkness that our wholeness comes into form. And in addition to that, you'd be missing episode number 10, which is this brilliant interview with Amy Koretsky, which really gives like a groundwork foundation level exploration of trauma from the viewpoint of a practitioner as well as a person who's experienced a lot of healing. So my personal suggestion, do yourself a favor, go back, listen to number nine, listen to number 10, and then come back. Okay, welcome back. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're here. You are about to get some wisdom downloaded onto you. So where do I begin in introducing Rachel Maddox? This is a deeply intimidating experience. I'm not going to lie to you. So Rachel is basically one of the greatest teachers in my life right now. I started following her work about a year and a half ago. And when we did this interview last year, she invited me to join one of her programs. I was scared and not well-regulated enough and broke. And so I basically told her, not right now. And that was fine because I needed to do some deep, deep, deep healing over the next year. And then this year, she decided to host a new program to offer a new program called consensual sales course that I was able to join and I have gotten so much out of being able to be in class with her every week for the last six weeks and my own process of deepening into my most integral medicine has only been possible because I've really had capacity to dive into her work and be able to show up for my life and for my medicine and for my wholeness from a place of stability and capacity and excitement. And so I really want you to like be ready for this episode because Rachel has so much wisdom and so much nuance in her teaching that that is truly life-changing if you're available to it. Really, this episode series that you're listening to, this ritual that I just put out around embodying our light and darkness, which is still available for sale, by the way, none of that would be happening if I wasn't working with Rachel right now and really practicing listening to my most deepest medicine and attuning to how, what are the most exciting ways for my body, for my spirit, for my soul to bring my unique medicine forward. That is all only existing because of the work I've been doing with her. Um, not because she's been doing the work for me. I've been doing the work. But because I have really given myself the support and 
you know, over the last year, put down the foundation that allows me to have capacity to be able to receive her teaching and her wisdom and then put it into practice in my own context. So let me first introduce Rachel to you. She's an author. She's a trauma resolution coach. Um, By the time that this is now airing, she's actually getting ready to launch her first full scale coach training program, which has sold out and is going to begin running in January. And I'm so excited for that for her. And uh, she is really a leader in what it looks like to do trauma aware, informed, spiritual support for folks looking to become better, stronger practitioners in their coaching healing practices. So she really is working at a level of depth that um, a lot of our industry is is aching for and hungry for. And so if you're a practitioner who's longing to be better at your craft, who's longing to deeper your craft, I highly, highly recommend um, getting to know her and getting to know her work and beginning to follow her. So in today's episode, we are really going to explore the physiology of trauma, the ways that we wake up to our trauma, whether that comes from a a personal place or a systemic place. We're going to talk about trauma as something that is a bit like a spell that even requires us waking up from. And then we are going to spend a very long time on the question of where is spirit when we are experiencing suffering. Now, this is something I talked about back in the intro episode, and this is really where I feel like you can hear me a year ago beginning to powerfully wrestle with the question of, you know, where is spirit when we are experiencing suffering and trauma, and how is our experience of trauma, how does that create an invitation for us to begin to see the work of spirit in our lives for us to be able to connect with spirit how how do we see our darkness our pain the mystery the fertile soil as an invitation to move closer to our wholeness which by the way when i say to move closer to our wholeness i mean to move closer to god because i do believe that that's the god self that is innate in each one of us not as an external being somewhere up in the clouds not as like one man that was incarnate as god but as the wholeness, the holy divinity sacredness of who we really, really are. Um, And we're also going to talk a little bit about blueprints of health. So what does it mean that we do have these like holy, sacred, whole, permanently whole parts of ourselves that can never be destroyed and that we can always deeply connect to within ourselves and that we can connect each other to and we can connect our clients to if we do client work that that's so much of the work is actually helping our clients reconnect to their wholeness helping ourselves reconnect to our wholeness and how to do that in a way that's really safe that's safe for us that's safe for our clients that's safe for our friends um all of it together so without any further ado we're going to begin the episode and what i've chosen to do actually is i've chosen to begin just a little bit before the official start of the interview um, because Rachel did something really beautiful which is a common practice of mine um, more and more these days but that back then wasn't which is that she began us with prayer she began us with invocation and invitation of the sacred right into our meeting Um, and I kept that in because I just wanted I wanted you to know that that's the ground of this conversation that we're not just talking about esoteric ideas when we're talking about God, when we're talking about spirit, when we're talking about source, 
and the work of source in our lives during difficulty. That, that this is actually about having a living, organic relationship, awareness, energetic exchange of understanding that though we are consciousness, we can also speak to consciousness. We can also speak to source. We can also connect to source intentionally. We can call ourselves back to that connection when we forget it. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna begin with Rachel leading us in prayer. Ready? Let's go. Just right here and now, hmm. allowing us both to just connect to the unbreakable love within both of us and the cohesive kind of infinite connection that we have. That's super cool. Hmm. And trusting that the synergy of our hearts and our souls will be radiant and magnetic in just the most loving and gentle way to everyone who listens. And may this conversation be luminous mm. and full of compassionate awakening. Mm. All right, everyone. Well, welcome to our interview. I'm so thrilled to have you here listening. And I am so, so thrilled to have Rachel Maddox here with us today on the podcast. Rachel, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Barbara. Thank you for coming on. It's extremely generous of you to share of your time and your wisdom. Everyone, you are in for a real treat. Um, the way I first discovered Rachel was, you know, through the interwebs, through the Instagram somehow. Um, but as soon as I landed on her feed, I just had this intense experience of recognition of like, oh, this person is the real deal. And when I say that, what I mean is this person is doing the work. This person is doing the work with herself. This person is doing the work with her clients. This person is showing up for what she believes in by embodying it and incarnating it in the world. And that is so refreshing and so responsible and so beautiful to witness. And I think it is so much less flashy, but much more tangible towards our process of becoming. And so, you know, Rachel, I just want you to know, and I already said this before we start recording, but how grateful I am that you are here and that I I'm grateful that you do your work in the world the way that you do it, because it means that other souls that are doing their work that way or that want to be brave enough to show up as the real themselves, see you and they're like, hell, that's possible. And they mm. use you as a model and as a mentor in that way. Probably folks you've never met before. <laughs> yeah. thank you, you know? so much that really yeah. warms my heart i really appreciate it yeah so thank you for coming on and being a mentor for so many people today even for this you know 45 minutes hour whatever we'll be hanging out um can you tell the good people a little bit about who you are and about your practice sure um well i call myself a trauma resolution educator coach and guide and so I work mostly with women who have sexual trauma or developmental or complex trauma. Um, but I also work with a lot of coaches, healers, therapists, people who are wanting to 
create a more trauma-informed business and also bloom into their bravest expression of leadership. Mm. So um, in terms of who I am, I feel like my me at my core being, I'm somebody who's all about awakening the soul mm-hmm. and the heart and the body in union with one another. Um, and that's really what I'm doing with everybody who I work with. Mm-hmm. And I'm an author. So I wrote a book Mm. called Secret Bad Girl. Secret Bad Girl is a sexual trauma memoir and resolution guide that came out three-ish years ago, um, which was like far before the Me Too movement. So Mm -hmm. I was getting a lot of people's Me Too stories before other people were telling them. Mm -hmm. Um, Also telling my own, essentially. And now I'm working on my second book called Rebloom, From Trauma to Trust in Sex, Mm. Love, and Community. Mm. And there's a whole model that I'm working with that's rooted in, yeah, reclaiming, healing both our personal traumas that happen to our souls, our bodies, and our hearts, Mm -hmm. and our collective soil that perpetuates trauma across the board. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by collective soil? So basically, each of us are born into some kind of community, some kind of structure, some kind of system. Mm -hmm. And depending on our unique identity, we interact with the structures that we're born into differently. Mm -hmm. So our collective soil is the grounds that we're planted into as a being, as a soul, as a baby, as a person. Um, So here I am planted, or the collective soil I got planted into um, was a middle-class, diverse, like racially and... um, financially diverse community mm-hmm. in Maryland, which is like a very conventional place, mm-hmm. in the United States of America, which is an incredibly privileged country. Um, so that was like amidst a democracy where there's corruption happening, amidst capitalism where there's a lot of competition, but also a lot of innovation. Mm-hmm. These are some of my pieces of collective soil mm-hmm. that I got planted into, the conditions mm-hmm within which my soul and my identity got planted. And then I have a soul seed, an identity, right? So I'm probably like a spiritual, sensual, um, super intuitive, super creative, kind of queer, kind of non-monogamous being Mm -hmm. that got planted into this soil that was very conventional and very competitive and very et cetera, et cetera. Also the soil of my family um, that was very like, violent and um yeah not necessarily agreeable Mm -hmm. so i help people sort of distinguish okay what's the soil you got planted into both Mm -hmm. in terms of our collective soil your family soil and then how did your unique soul identity interact with that Mm -hmm. in ways that maybe benefited you or didn't and how can we help you bloom into your bigness into your truest identity in a way that heals you and the soil you come from I love that. And is that terminology something that you've developed or something that one of your teachers has introduced you to? These are my developments. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, this, I this love is that. all the theory of rebloom. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason that I actually wanted to highlight that for, you know, the audience listening is because I think that there are concepts that I've heard used, that there are concepts that I've heard discussed and worked on within organizing within healing justice work. So within, you know, something like generative somatics, they might use the term location, right. Mm -hmm. Rather than Mm -hmm. collective soil. And yet I think that there's something so significantly 
important to the fact that we as practitioners, especially those of us doing trauma-informed work, get to create our own language and that language gets to come through us from spirit for discussing and creating new frameworks of healing and organizing. And that that's, that's actually so, for me, that's so incredibly important because Mm -hmm. if we're going to introduce more people and introduce trauma-informed work and responsive work to greater culture, especially a greater spiritual communities, which might be, you know, quite resistant to doing any sort of trauma work, which are really kind of invested in spiritual bypassing. If we're going to be introducing this work into clinicalized processes that are a little more obsessed with um, diagnoses and really um, making us feel broken, you know, and pathologizing the human experience rather than recognizing that actually trauma coping mechanisms are, are part of a healthy human response. It's just how do we heal those later once they're not necessary? You know, I feel like we're offering this work and we have the potential to offer this work. And so many of my audience members are healers, you know, as well as people on their own healing journey. And I feel like it's so, I used to worry that we all had different language for what we're talking about, but now I find it so exciting because I think the more that we can own that the healing work comes through us in our own languaging, really, the more the work becomes accessible to more people because different people will resonate with different language, you know? And I, I love that your framework has this like beautiful earthy, like earth rich metaphor to it Mm -hmm. that is going to land with so many people who have a deep connection to the earth and earth spirituality and therefore can even begin to understand ideas of anti-oppression through an earth-based lens that otherwise might feel really distant for them. 100%. And that is what I wanted to say. So while this specific terminology is mine, obviously it's informed. So I, I went like, I went to University of Maryland. I did a ton of anti-oppression mm-hmm, um, clearly. justice you know, work. I've done a lot of organizing, community organizing in DC. So I am obviously standing on the shoulders of many, many, many others, people of Mm -hmm. color, women of color who, you know, teach these models in their own language. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think that so many people who are struggling with their own trauma, it's like internalized trauma. So part of the reason why Secret Bad Girl was called Secret Bad Girl is you are a secret that you are keeping. Mm-hmm. Um, like your, your badness, quote unquote, the trauma spell you're stuck under is a secret you don't want to tell anyone about, but it's also a secret to you what is going on. Yeah. It's a secret to you that you have physiological trauma and what mm-hmm. that is and how that works. It's also sort of a secret to you that the systems that you've grown up in, the collective soil we're a part of, contribute so deeply to your trauma. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you label yourself bad. Mm-hmm. And so much of the work is around destigmatizing the two sources of why we stay so stuck. Mm-hmm. We, we blame ourselves. We say, oh, well, I must not care enough. I must not be worthy. I must not be doing this right. Maybe I just suck. And it's like, no, you're in systems of oppression yeah. and you're under a physiological trauma spell. Mm-hmm. And it's really damn hard to get out. And so for me, it's super important to emphasize and focus on both of those things, the body-based ways that our our physiology gets stuck 
and the systemic ways that we're all, you know, part of toxic collective, you know, structures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the work really becomes, oh, damn, this is about me first understanding how can I become more resilient, mm -hmm. more empowered and less ashamed and more deserving, more deeply understanding of my deservedness. Mm -hmm. And how can that contribute to not only me living a happy life, but me healing our soil so that more people don't have to deal with this bullshit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We heal backwards. We heal forwards. We heal when we heal for us, we heal for all. Um, yeah. I think so. But that's not, hold on. That's not necessarily um, what people actually do though. I love that you said when we heal, heal for us, we heal for all. And that's like second nature to you. It's second nature to me, but it's actually not what's perpetuated in a lot of he healing communities. It's like, oh, yeah. how can I keep healing to be a bajillionaire and go on 500 vacations? And I'm like, I'm all for power and money. Like I'm not against, yeah. um, just to be super clear, <laughs> but it's not like, it's not actually implied in the healing path that when we heal for ourselves, we heal for others. That's a, that's a value that has to be taught and that has yeah. to be reminded. It's an yes. ancient value of togetherness that has been so deeply eroded through our systems that we have to actually reawaken that value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also like, if I can add on and say, it's also a value that especially like in any sort of new agey spiritual communities is really looked down upon is what I will say. Mm -hmm. And a lot of more surface practices, like the idea that like, Oh, well, I want, I want my healing to happen. And then I want my healing to support the healing of others. There's this idea of like, no, 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 just really focus on your own healing because you can't rescue anyone else. And there's this kind of, mm -hmm. I feel like blending together of codependency and interdependency. And mm -hmm. it drives me crazy because I think that, you know, even right now, so I'm, I'm not, this pro, this will definitely launch after I've done finished launching the be with initiation. But, you know, if people look back kind of on the process of how I launched that program, when I first launched it, I said, you know what, I'm not going to do a sliding scale on this program. And that's the first time that I've not done a sliding scale on anything, mm -hmm. but I really was like pretty set on not doing it because I wanted to do this a little bit differently. La di da di da a week into it. I was miserable, just like so unhappy, mm -hmm. kept going to these like dark places in my heart and in my mind and I respect that that's part of the human process, but there was also a sense of knowing in my gut that there was something I was ignoring. And as soon as I sat down and I came to this like breaking point where I was like, nope, I just, I, I know what I believe. And I believe that there is a way in which accessibility and healing work go together in a way where they are interdependent on one another. And that is a deep value of mine. And if I don't honor it in this program for me, mm -hmm. I will not launch this in a way that is well for me, not only for other people, but I won't be well, you know? And so it was also me having to work against, I feel like so much messaging that especially if we're in any sort of leadership in this community receive of like, well, make sure that you are, you know, prioritizing yourself at all times, which I do believe, but I believe that goes hand in hand with also like knowing that sometimes prioritizing ourselves is about prioritizing our values. And the more we wake up to empathetic, compassionate living in the world, the more we recognize that those two go together and that that's actually part of our part of true healing. I think if we heal 
only ever to heal ourselves. And like you said, you know, quote unquote, become a bajillionaire. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's healing. I think that is harmful in the end, because if we are consistently separating ourselves from others, we're buying into an illusion of separateness that is simply not true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, So much goodness in there. And I love this piece that you said around the difference between codependency and interdependency. And I think it's such a fine line Mm -hmm. Um, because, so just a little background on me that you might not know. So for like two years, I ran my business on the gift economy, which Mm -hmm. was probably more codependent because it wasn't actually, um, I didn't set my standard enough. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like, okay, well, what's a stretch for you? Great. Pay that. But, but, what people always ended up paying was like their change and their leftovers. Yeah. So that really didn't work. It wasn't yeah. feeding me or filling me enough. Yeah. And now this program that I'm running, Rebloom Your Business, is the first time that I'm not offering a scholarship. Mm-hmm. But that's because I'm actually working with like four people with scholarship right now. Exactly. So I actually promote a lot of my solidarity economics. I have in the past um, and I will in the future. But right now there's been... I've been in a phase of my business where it's been important for me to be more focused on creating something sustainable. And the reason is because I'm working on a book that's going to feed 30, 40, 50,000 people. Yes. I have to feed myself for that. And so there is, it is like, I have this little chart, actually it's sitting right here. I'll show you for the people who can't see it though. Um, It has feed me, fill me on one side Mm -hmm. and use me, move me on the other. Mm. And there's sort of an arrow going from feed me, fill me over to use me, move me above like a circle, Mm -hmm. sort of like the recycling thing. And then from use me, move me back over to feed me, fill me. Mm -hmm. And it's really a both and Mm -hmm. like in my prayers for so long, I only prayed, use me, move me. Mm -hmm. And I think when we've grown up um, in any kind of relationship that takes advantage of us, Mm -hmm through emotional exploitation, physical or sexual exploitation, financial exploitation, Mm -hmm. um, neglect, manipulation, control, when we've, uh, shame and repression, when we've had these things developmentally, we can become accustomed to always overcompensating for other people's bad behavior Mm -hmm. and to just asking, how can I be used? Use me, use me, use me. Oh, let me be more compassionate. Let me fill in where this person's not doing what they need. And that can trickle into our businesses. We overgive and we um, overcompensate for somebody else's fear. And this is where the line gets fine because there's a difference between someone's fear of investing in themselves and someone's systemic disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And you can't know what that is. You're not God. You're not the one who decides that. But you can feel what feels right for you in your own balance of use me, move me, make me of service to the people who need me. And feed me, fill me, mm-hmm. give me what I need so that I can continue to be of service. Mm-hmm. And it's this dance and it's not fixed. It's mutable. It's a mutable dance mm-hmm. that is dependent on time, dependent on situation, dependent on where you are developmentally and what's the move that you need to practice more of. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how I feel about that. Yeah. And I love that this actually feeds into a conversation we were having before we started recording in terms of religion and God and faith, because in many ways, you know, you said my prayer these days is both of those things. And Mm -hmm. in many ways, when we grow up with that lack of safety or lack of support or any, any sort of exploitative, exploitative relationship when we're young, we then recreate a God in our minds 
mm-hmm. that is in form or fashion of that parental figure, that institution, whatever it was, you know, mm-hmm. that we experienced as a child. And so I think even working with new conceptions of a higher power, new conceptions of a divine, new conceptions of a universe, you know, one of the things I wrote down that I think that this relates to is that like even new conceptions where we believe that the universe is a safe place for us to be, that we believe we live in a universe, that we have a God that we can even ask to say, feed me, fill me. And then that prayer will be answered, you know? And I think, I do think it's a really radical departure for those of us who are still in our own healing work and our processing work. Yeah. And I, I love that you're bringing this up because Um, I work with a lot of people who've had really early childhood sexual trauma. So Mm -hmm. like parent, sibling, whatever, Mm -hmm. molestation. And a lot of times for people who've had really early developmental trauma, when they were young, they were praying for it to stop Mm -hmm. and it wasn't stopping. Or when you're in a systemically shit spot Mm -hmm. through, you know, intersections of oppression and you're praying for something to be different in the world, and you're Mm -hmm. still seeing people who look like you shot on television. Mm -hmm. What the hell does that do for you and your Mm -hmm. connection to the idea that you're supported by a divine whatever? Yeah. And this is my perspective, um, and it's my perspective that's also rooted in my privilege, that I didn't have either of those things really. Um, So, you know, take it with a grain of salt but also sometimes working with clients who have had those different um, violations as their own personal story continues to evolve and only as it continues to evolve and only as they become, start to become healed healers in the world, mm-hmm. do they begin to see, well, damn, that was the most fucked up way ever for the divine to get my attention oh. and turn me into who I'm becoming now, but that's sort of what's going on here. And it's, it's not something I would ever wish for from anyone. It's not something I like think makes these things excusable, but it's a long run perspective. Like we were talking earlier, you know, I was raised Jewish. Half of my family had to flee Poland before the Holocaust um, when the pogroms were happening, where people's businesses were being burned and looted and, women were being raped, et cetera. Um, and a lot of, in a lot of Judaism, I think part of our long-term journey is to return to the earth-based traditions that make us strong and wise mm-hmm. after earth-based spiritual traditions where we actually still believe in miracles. I mean, we have, there's all these stories with Frigi- the Jews of miracles splitting the freaking sea, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but how could we have that strong of a spirituality that created that big of a miracle and then have 6 million of our people murdered in a Holocaust? Yeah, this is, and this is Rachel, like, I, I can't, I can't help, but, you know, my role as pastor in this world, like, I can't help but come forward and in this conversation and say that I think that one of the things I actually want to stand in opposition to, and, and you can, Great. Receive this however you want, but is that idea of that, wow, that was a really fucked up way for God to get my attention? Because that's right. not a God I believe in. It just Ooh. isn't. And I refuse to. I, I refuse to believe 
like this idea that guides or God throws rocks in our path in order for us to like turn back to God. I'm like, no, that is, a sh- if a partner treated me that way, it's abuse, like yeah. could, it's abuse. If a partner yeah. was like, oh, I can't get your attention any other way. So I'm just going to hit you or slam, no, no. like slam Great. the car, you, you know, I'm with you. Yeah. With so you. I just, I, ha- I have to say that, like, I think that that is, that is an evolutionary place on the spiritual journey. That yeah. is an evolutionary place I have been before. Yeah. And to be honest, in my own healing journey, I've experienced a shit ton of spiritual trauma. That is, I mean, I have some complex childhood trauma from family stuff and I have trauma from immigration, but my, to be honest, somehow some of my most formative trauma is spiritual trauma because that is the ground. You know how you talked about your collective soil and then who you are as a soul, like yeah. who I am as a soul is a deeply contemplative spiritual being. I am at my best when I'm talking about God. Yeah. I'm at my most myself when I'm talking about spirit and spirits redeeming work in our world. Mm. And that is paired with my queerness. And that is, and my queerness is the location of also my spiritual healing and faith and growth, no Mm. matter the kinds of things I've experienced. And I've experienced an exorcism. Like I've experienced some dark fucked up shit. Mm. Would I ever say that that was God? No, that was in complete opposition to God. Was there a Mm. moment when I remember, you know, I, I broke my leg in like 2008, I guess it was. And that was when I was deeply evangelical, just in the process of coming out. And I remember feeling like so much gratitude that I broke my leg because it, it allowed that first break in my mind and in my psyche to happen between mm-hmm. me and evangelical Christianity and evangelical understandings of God. Like it was the first moment where I felt like I had capacity to believe in a different way than I was currently entrenched in. And it was really important for me to believe that that was a way that like God quote unquote allowed that to happen, you know, but as my spirituality has matured and grown and as I've done a shit ton of trauma work and a shit ton of, you know, working a healing internalized homophobia, Mm -hmm. healing all sorts of things. um, I've come to a place where I, I believe that God is all loving and that terrible things happen, but let us never put that upon a universe or a God because we are shooting ourselves in the foot if we do that. Yeah. Because if that's who God is, then what's the point? Right. Really? So, no, I 1000% appreciate what you're saying. And I'm grateful for you speaking into that. And I think that, um, I think that the question I have is less around like, is God like, okay, let me clarify. Mm -hmm. Do I think God created the Holocaust? Fuck no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, um, do I think God is like here, black people, we will enslave you. Like, no, no, Mm -hmm. no, no. Do I think that that's like, no. Um, do I think God is like, here, let's create homophobia so that all the gay people can have spiritual awakenings. Like, no, that's not Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So thank Mm -hmm. you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know you weren't, I just really wanted to say that like, because I, and I, and I know you, that's not what you were saying. I know you were literally speaking to a process that people are walking through. I just want to say that that's not where, yeah, it's not where I want people to end up. Yeah. I hear you. It's interesting though, because I do feel like there's something, there's some place, maybe it's not 
that people are ending up with like, this was all part of God's plan. I don't mm -hmm. mean like that. I mean, like there is something that happens when people, so for me, for example, I ended up having vaginal melanoma. I had to have a clitoral, a marble size of my clitoral hood removed. Mm -hmm. It was bullshit. It was horrible. And I feel like it was stored trauma. Mm -hmm. It was the worst. I'm still dealing with it. It's not great. I mean, it's fine. It's much better, but like, it's not, it's, it's just, there's scar tissue, you know, and it hurts. And yet something about that incision um, put me on my path in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to call that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. And I see that happen over and over and over and over and over again. Like the woman who got out of the relationship with the guy who was narcissistically abusive. Mm -hmm. Am I saying that it was God that put her in that relationship mm -hmm. and the whole, all the pain she should have experienced? No. But does it put her, when she gets free, when she gets aligned, she's on her path. It's post-traumatic growth. It's like your path yes. becomes so much more powerful than it was. The, the people who are you in your path like mm -hmm. it's yeah so there's something magical about post-traumatic growth which doesn't mean i think we should have to go through trauma but mm -hmm. i don't know what to call all of that i mean i completely that i would not deny in a million years because i do believe that when we hit that kind of whatever it is whatever kind of rock bottom it is yeah when we hit that i think that's when we wake up to the goodness of the fact that actually God never leaves us. Right. God is with us in the oppression. And when I say God, what I mean is like pure, creative, divine intelligence, force, energy. Right. Like pure fucking emanating love is with right. you even there. And I do believe that God, because God is incarnate in our human form, as well as in nature, as well mm -hmm. as in everything, mm -hmm. like God is in the suffering with us. And yeah. I think that's the thing for me is that I just, I refuse to, yeah, I, I refuse to put the, the, the guilt of that bullshit on God because I think that mm. this is the point, which is that God is the very thing that allows us to heal and evolve from that pain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm with you. 100%. It's like we turn more towards that truth of who we actually are because of that pain but it's yeah. not like that that justifies the pain. Right. When we get so low, we start to open to who we yes. really are. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I think there are, I think there are, I mean, are there other ways to open? I don't know. I, and, and that's the thing. I don't know because I think that like suffering is part of our human experience on purpose. Like I don't think it's a mistake. So, but then this is interesting because that kind of comes full circle to what I was saying. Like, yeah. and I, it's, it's just weird. It's a mystery. You know, in mm -hmm. Judaism, the prayer that you sing when the sun goes down, when the sun comes up is, um, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Mm -hmm. Like, children, seekers of God, or children, like, listen, those, who, those of you who want to know God, everything is such a mystery. Yeah. Like, Adonai, the, the unnameable God, yeah. Adonai Eloheinu. Eloheinu is like all the gifts of creation that have been created. I don't know, Echad, it's still all a big fucking mystery. Yeah. So I think to try to know, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't need to know. What I, but what I do know from my experience is that there is something about 
laying down on the forest floor when you're at the end of everything. And in that moment saying, use me, move me, but not just use me, move me, also fucking feed me and fill me because I'm tired of the bullshit. And just getting a really aligned prayer. That moment doesn't often happen until you're at the bottom. It can, you can do it every morning. You can say, use me, move me, feed me, fill me. The world Mm -hmm. has broken my heart enough, put me to work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have seen time and again that at people's worst in the lowest, that's when our prayers get more aligned. 100%. And I think it's why we, why partially you and I do the work that I do and so many others do the work that is similar to us in the sense of like telling people, don't be afraid to face the truth of what you're facing and hit bottom because mm-hmm. in that you will find that unbreakable resilience. Yeah. Like when, you know, when you're talking about your blueprint for health, which I know is the term you use, like for me, that's creative intelligence at work. Oh yeah. 100%. So don't be afraid to face the shadow because as you face the shadow in there is the mystery of the light. Mm-hmm. God, I did not know our conversation was going to go here, but I was I'm just thinking this. so fucking into it. It's such a, it's so complex. I so appreciate you kind of like pausing it and calling it and be like, wait a second, because yeah. I'm with you. And, and I love that really where we're landing is like this, it feels like this twofold thing. One piece being that it's all a really big mystery. Yeah. And the other piece being amidst the mystery, we can make aligned prayers. <sighs> And may those prayers be in service to healing ourselves and our collective soil. That feels like the theme so far here. Rachel, I fucking adore you. Just I adore you too. <laughs> this, is this is great. This is so good. Okay. I want to take us back to something you said earlier before we got on the God and trauma tangent, <laughs> which is great. Which and no also, one ever really actually talks about. So. No one talks about. So I love that we're talking about it. And it feels it's- kind of scary. Right? Totally. (laughs) Especially because I'm so, like, I'm so shy. Like, I've been dropping hints here and there to my audience that I'm like, hey, my pastoral work is calling. I like, I'm going to start shifting things. And I keep thinking that in order to follow my pastoral work, I'm just going to have to, like, to be honest, in the back of my mind, the fear that comes up is like, oh, God, I'm going to have to shut down my business over the next couple of years and just walk in a different direction. Whereas, you know, much more often than not, like life is about transmutation and transformation and mm-hmm. becoming. And so this feels very aligned. As you yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all integrating. <laughs> all of it. Um, <laughs> okay. But I, because I promised the people and myself a trauma episode, and I think you highlighted this so well. So early on, we were talking about trauma resolution and you said the two types of things, and I don't know what the word for it is, but you'll help me out to figure mm-hmm. out are like systemic, internalized oppression, trauma, and experiences. And then the fact that trauma gets trapped in our nervous system and the physiological blocks mm-hmm. that result in, you know, behavior, thought patterns, emotional patterns, la-di-da. So right. I 100% agree with that. That is 100% been my process. For me personally, though the two have always gone in hand in hand like sisters, for me personally, the systemic has led the way, mm-hmm. which then allowed me to do the, the embodied work. And then the systemic would pick up, the embodied work would pick up. Do you find that that's a pattern or is there, do different people begin with one and then move into the other? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your practice of this. What I've noticed is that um, the people who have more privilege start with themselves mm-hmm. and the people who have more systemic oppression start with the oppression. Pretty simple. 
you just, just blew my mind. <laughs> well, you it's really did. Really? Okay. Why? Because <laughs> that to me is like kind of obvious. It's like, we just start where our pain is the most. Yeah. I mean, yes. And I would so apply that to my client work. Like for sure. Like right now I'm like scanning through all of my clients in my brain. I'm like, Oh, yep, 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 yep. Like, and kind of sorting mm -hmm. a little bit just yeah. for the purpose of this exercise. But I wasn't, when I was asking the question, I wasn't thinking about my clients because yeah. I was trying to be present with you. And yet when I think about my own pain, my own healing process came out of straight up oppression and right. systemic religious, systemic religious oppression. Yeah. Yeah. As well as like personal, you know, in my family, like losing my parents, all that jazz mm, because of my mm. queerness, you know? Mm. Yeah. Right. Wow. So it's an identity piece, which is rooted in systemic. Mm -hmm. So your healing will probably express itself also systemically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas people who, so, so for me, I'm kind of an interesting case because I grew up in very diverse communities. Like I said, mm -hmm. I had friends, my best friend growing up, my best friends, one lived in a homeless shelter. One was an Ethiopian immigrant. One was, you know, Asian American, like I'm Jewish. Like I'm just grew up in very mixed communities. My very mm -hmm. best friend's a lesbian. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and her dad was a pastor. So Oof. I understand the spiritual, uh, yeah systemic trauma of being gay. I understand that now I don't have it from my first hand, but the people I've loved the most mm -hmm. have been systemically oppressed. Mm -hmm. And then on my own side, you know, losing my virginity to statutory anal rape when I'm 13 mm -hmm. years old. Mm -hmm. So sexual trauma. Um, and so for me, there's a both andness that mm -hmm. has come up. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time, like I said, activists, organizing, socialism, whatever, all the things. Mm -hmm. um, but it really wasn't until I hit my rock bottom with like my surgery and just mm -hmm. continuously experiencing more and more trauma, sexual trauma, that I was like, I have a real problem that I need to address. And yeah. I don't want to address it. It's the most painful thing in the world to address, but I have to. Mm -hmm. And usually that's when we start to seek our healing, when, when the pain won't stop. Yeah. Um, so whatever place that is for people is usually where they'll start systemically or personally. For me, the pain that wouldn't stop was very personal and very embodied. Mm -hmm. So I went to a genius of a somatic body working mm. healer. And then as I started to have my own personal transformation, like being able to push someone off my body, but then mm -hmm. also feel my nervous system re-regulate to my natural blueprint of health. Yeah. Or, you know, visualizing certain things that, again, impacted my nervous system. As I started to regain my physiological capacity to fight and to flight, mm -hmm. instead of just hyper-socializing, appeasing, making nice, and then freezing and dissociating, yeah. as I actually regained my fight and flight responses mm. and my nervous system started to regulate it was like my whole brain opened, my whole vision opened. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, the whole world's under a trauma spell. Yeah. Oh my God. Everyone's just reliving their trauma in the social justice world, in mm -hmm. the personal healing world, in our crappy relationships. It's all a big freaking trauma spell, mm -hmm. but it, it can't just be one or the other. It's not just personal because I'm still in a system that thinks that, or that makes me think that if I just you know, perform better, I can win and everything will be okay because I'm white and because I'm pretty and because I'm smart, mm -hmm. I can still go that path. Mm -hmm. But what's the cost of going that path? Yeah. Who do I leave behind? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a cost to 
marginalized folks, but it's also a cost to you. Oh yeah. Totally cost to me. Cost you to know? Myself. Yeah. Um, I love that so much, that concept that you just said of like, as you woke up from your trauma spell, that it's like parts of your, and you, you made this motion for the listeners, Rachel made this motion with her hand where like her hands were like beside her face, like kind of at her forehead. And then she like opened them up as if like a horse taking off blinders. Yeah. You exactly. know? And I, so I just recently started working with a somatic practitioner to do a level of trauma work in my own, in my own nervous system that I was just previously, I didn't have enough space in my life to do before. I didn't have enough safety in my world to do before. And mm -hmm. so I'm doing this work around childhood things and lack of childhood memory. So mm -hmm. doing really, really new deep work that like, and you know, I'm like what, 11, 12 years into therapy mm -hmm. and I'm like starting a whole new piece of work, you know? Yeah. Right. And yet it's such a gift to me because I feel like I've been bouncing back and forth between these two arenas and the deeper I take the one area of my healing, mm -hmm. the deeper I can then take the other. And then the beauty of that is that the more I deepen each arena, you know, it's like, as you dig the well, your capacity increases yeah. and suddenly my capacity for action is increasing in both parts in these really, really beautiful ways. And, and I think this is something that I think most people, if they knew how much capacity they can free up in themselves yeah. by doing some of this deeper work, I think people would be more willing to do it. Yeah, I, I love watching you as you're talking about this um, because the way you're sharing right now I've seen so many people share and it's hard. Like if you're listening, you might be hearing this and you might be like, huh, she sounds like she's got something going on over there. That's good, but I don't quite get it. Yeah, please. And even when you're explaining it, you don't quite get it. Like mm -hmm. when you're the one experiencing it, you're like, it's, it's like this epiphany or awakening or it's an opening. And mm -hmm. the way I like to describe it is we increase our capacity for intensity Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound super fun, but if you think about, cause you're like, oh, that means more, more intensity, but no, you're actually increasing your capacity. Yeah. So, you know, you're able to show up with more presence, mm. more compassion, with more power, with mm -hmm. more empowerment. One of the things that trauma does is it, it's, I like to use the metaphor of waves. So we have these waves of experience when we're triggered mm -hmm. and you can imagine yourself in an ocean. And you could be somebody who doesn't know how to swim, who's constantly getting pummeled by the waves. And then you're so exhausted that all you can do is like get the frick out of the ocean and mm -hmm. lay on the ocean floor. So mm -hmm. that would be hyper arousal and then collapse. Mm -hmm. So I lay on the sand, lay on the shore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or when you've done really deep trauma resolution work, you kind of become a surfer. Totally. And now all of a sudden a big wave comes and you're like, I know how to get up on my board. I know how to be present. I know how to ride this wave. I know how to do it in a way that people are taking pictures of me. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, look at her go. You know, and you're like, yeah. Um, but it's not really just about you. It's like you're leading people into that kind of grace and cohesion with intensity. Yeah. Where from there, something miraculous can happen where before all that could happen was like, shit, I just got pummeled. And now I'm like laying on the, on the shore, just exhausted. Ah, oh, Rachel, I love that metaphor. Cause the one that I've often used, but I've never had them. And I guess like now you're helping me extend a metaphor I already use that I use a lot, which is that Great. You know, most of us are used to hanging out. Like if you think of a full scale piano, 
yeah. you know, all of the octaves. Most of us like to hang out like in the center, two octaves of a piano. Mm-hmm. And we're like, you know, I'm just comfortable with like sadness and I'm okay with like sort of happiness. And I'm like, okay with like boredom and like, I'll just hang out here, mm-hmm. you know, or worse yet, people will be like, we'll think of those emotions as negative versus positive. Mm-hmm. Whereas like those emotions aren't negative or positive. Like we need the whole damn piano to play a concerto. And like the, my goal is always to help people increase how many octaves they can play. I'm like, let's see if we can get you to feel grief. Let's see if we can get you to feel anger because that's also going to free you up to feel elation. That's going to free you up to feel orgasm and desire and feeling good and desire, you know, like Mm -hmm. let's free you up to feel your full drive and potential. Let's Mm -hmm. free you up to feel the full, you know, like exhaustion and loss so that when someone who you love dies, you can actually move through that feeling without fighting it or resisting it. Because the more octaves we open up for you, the greater of a pianist you're going to be, the greater of a player of life you're going to be, you know? And I just kind of love that it's kind of, I've always just said like, well, you know, so you can play the whole concerto, but really the difference between having access to two octaves and having Mm -hmm. access to eight octaves, Mm -hmm. that's what's going to allow you great capacity in the world to, to, to move people, to right? move like, people, literally to, to move, move people and to change other people's experiences, not just your own. And this goes back to then healing the collective soil. Yes. Because if you're moving people, if you're, if your song can awaken other people, mm-hmm. then we can actually start to heal together. <laughs> then we can actually start to stop the things that are continuously hurting us and stop the cycles of violence that are perpetuating yeah. so much trauma. Yeah. 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 It's big stuff. It's big stuff. It's really big stuff. Um, okay. Well, we've been like in the deep end of the pool. I'm into it. I love I'm it. So do you like, it's not that often that you get to play with someone in the deepest ends. It's great. It's such a delight. It's, it's, it's thrilling. It's inspired. Such, it's lovely. Mm-hmm. It's freaking lovely. Like it would be so great to just like sit on each other's living room floors and like, you know, share, share whatever drink of choice, whether it's tea or wine or whatever, and just like talk into the night. <laughs> I'm really into it. Like I really am. I really, really am into it. I knew this was going to be good. I am delighted by how, how nourishing it is. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So there's two directions we could go. And maybe I'll ask you, cause this mm-hmm. is a lovely co-creation. So mm-hmm. we could talk about safety and feeling safe in the world. Mm-hmm. And then we could talk about practitioner responsibility. And because I think you and I are both practitioners that usually were not people's first practitioner, I'm mm-hmm. guessing you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. How you know when someone is coming to you, like what are the signals to you that the previous practitioner might've done some unintentional damage. Mm-hmm. And now there's some reparative work for you to do. Yeah. Cause I want to, I want to give the practitioners who are listening to this a little bit of something to chew on, you know? Yeah. And I know that I, that's I your expertise. Definitely have so given them some chewing too, but yeah, totally. I mean, already, but you know, in terms of their practices. Um, I think we can really combine those questions around how to be safe in the world. And then also as a practitioner, yeah, how to, yeah. So however you want to dish them out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's start with the second, cause that feels more charged. 
feels a little more like a hot topic, but I think one that's really, really important Mm -hmm. is like, how do you support your clients to do their healing work in a restorative way? So how do you do trauma resolution in a way that is healthy, non-harming, which is kind of one of the definitions of trauma resolution, but especially when someone else has already worked with someone who might've just exasperated exasperated their trauma. There we go. Thank you. Immigrant mouth right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, okay. This is such a big thing. Okay. So right now in my practice, about half of my clients have come to me off the heels of working with somebody else, a different practitioner who somehow traumatized them or re-traumatized them or made, you know, made worse what they came healing for healing. Yeah. And so I am super careful when somebody comes to me and they sort of mention that they're coming off the heels of a bad practitioner mm-hmm. experience. And the reason why I'm careful is it could be one of two things. Their practitioner could have been out of their own scope of practice mm-hmm. and working beyond their scope of practice, um, which could be for a million reasons. Yeah. It could be for their own sense of validation. It could be for like their naivety, it could be narcissism, it could mm-hmm. be a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. It could be accidental. Yeah. On the other hand, the client could be on such a big emergency train um, that they don't know how to identify, you know, who's going to be healing for them. Mm-hmm. And, and or the client could be a narcissist. Mm-hmm. So for me, when somebody's coming to me and they say they've had a bad practitioner experience, it's a red flag, which doesn't mean that they're wrong or bad, but it's a red flag for me to be asking a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I'm really asking and checking for is, is this somebody who takes personal responsibility for their self and their stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if they're in a place where they're obsessively blaming the practitioner or they're saying, I've been to 10 therapists and they all sucked all mm-hmm. therapists are bad. Mm-hmm. That's like, okay, I'm going to be the next bad therapist this person has. Mm-hmm. And the greatest gift I can give them is actually saying no, because I am then putting the responsibility back in their hands yeah. to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. I cannot, will not, do not get into relationships with clients who will not take responsibility for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I ask a lot of questions to check on that. If somebody's even waffling around, if somebody's asking me a lot of questions around how much, how available I'll be for them, mm-hmm. I say, I'll be in your corner 100%. These are my boundaries. These are what I do. Yes, I will love you. I will believe in you. Yeah. But like, no, I won't do your work for you. Yeah. And a lot of those people walk away mm-hmm. and I'm happy when they go. Yeah. I do not oversell. I undersell. And the reason is because I'm going to have a safe relationship with somebody. This is a relationship. Mm -hmm. Somebody who comes to work with me with trauma, we are getting into a relationship. We are getting into a soul contract. I am not in the contract or I'm not in the business of creating soul contracts that are enabling codependence, Mm -hmm. period. I'm Mm -hmm. not a narcissist and I'm not an empath. Mm -hmm. I'm a straight up human. Who knows how to have healthy, regulated relationships with other people. Yeah. You're going to take care of your stuff. I'm going to take care of mine. I'm going to help guide you back to your own sense of clarity, power, and choice. Yeah. So there's that. And that's on the side of like 
what to look for in terms of are they are your clients potentially narcissistic or potentially addicted to codependent dynamics? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The way you'll know that they're not is they'll be taking responsibility. They'll be saying like, well, this went wrong with this practitioner and I can see my part in it, but I'm also maybe not sure fully what my part was. And I really Mm -hmm. want to understand what my part was in this. And I want to stop being in these dynamics. I can't quite figure them out. There's an eagerness to take responsibility and change that Mm -hmm. isn't rooted in being saved, but that's Mm -hmm. rooted in personal, you know, integrity. Yeah. So in terms of working with the client and checking for the client's sort of safety for you as a practitioner, those are some things to look for. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece of things is how do you then cultivate safety between you two, right? Is that the second part of the question? Yeah, I mean, as well as like, I guess the the other piece is not just the client's responsibility, but also like when a client has come in and they speak very maybe positively of their previous practitioner, but once mm-hmm. you get into the work, you're like, oh shit, some damage has been done actually to this client by that previous practitioner. Yeah. So for me, I have seven core blueprints of health that I work with. Mm -hmm. And so it just keeps things clean. Mm -hmm. It's um, you move from neglect to worthiness. Mm -hmm. You move from exploitation to sovereignty, which is healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. You move from shame and repression to whole self-expression. Yeah. You move from manipulation and control to clarity and choice. And this is the one that comes in a lot of times with the practitioner dynamics, either the exploitation, which is, you know, unjust, maybe somebody was paying someone like half of their income for five months and now they're so broke, but they also like were exploiting themselves in this dynamic because they thought it would save them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's three more, but the point is that I just simply speak of these blueprints. Like, yeah. was this in an, a relationship where you felt like your clarity was honored? Mm-hmm. where you were encouraged to know your own answer and your own truth and mm-hmm. to make choices according to it? Mm-hmm. Or was there manipulation that was in service to this practitioner exploiting you in some way? Mm-hmm. I love that one thing that you offered that I think is extremely tangible and really powerful and actually almost takes us back to a really nice place that was right at the beginning of the recording, which is that you have a framework set up for yourself yeah. to support you and to support your client. So that no matter how they're arriving, you can ground yourself and them in like, okay, here's how, here's how we work together. And here's how health, what health looks like and what we're guiding you back towards. Yeah, totally. Cause this territory can, is so messy. It's so complicated. And sometimes, you know, I'll be six sessions in with somebody and they're in their deepest stuff and they're like, what am I even doing and they like, they're, they're so turned around because it gets deep and dark and mm-hmm. that's no fault to the practitioner or the client. That's mm-hmm. just the territory. You're yeah. going in there. You're working and through it. To, right. And you have to remind them like these seven things are what we're here for. We're here for worthiness, mm-hmm. sovereignty, whole self-expression, clarity and choice, mm-hmm. um, vitality and empowered safety, intimate belonging, connection and co-creation. Yeah. Those are all the blueprints. Yeah. And that's what we're here for. And do you feel yourself wrestling with the way the imprints of trauma are keeping you from those blueprints? Or do you feel those blueprints starting to awaken in you? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, then we're still on track. Yep. 
And are we doing this in a body-based way that's doable for you, where you're harmonizing with your limits instead of pushing yourself to go and to have all of your healing in two seconds and, mm-hmm. oh my God, now you've had your ascension and you're, blah. Yeah. you know, like, no, like, yeah. are you doing this in, in communion with your body and your limits? Mm-hmm. Or is this taking you out so much that you can't function in your life? Because that's also a sign that we're not doing it right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because that's not sustainable. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. That was so helpful. And thank you really for this whole conversation. I feel like you've shared both very, very practical things, but also like you've just been willing to dive into the deep end with me and give us so many deep soulful things to sit with Mm. that I think are the sustaining, the metaphor I've been using a lot is groundwater. Like that I think are the sustaining groundwater that we can always dip down into like a well and like pull from yeah. no matter, no matter what the form or the frameworks or the, or the practicalities of our practices, whether for ourselves or others look like mm-hmm. there's this groundwater of being that we get to dip into. And I just feel like you were willing to go there too. So thank you so much for being willing to do so. Yes. Thank you for your, your clarity and your power and your love and your mm. curiosity. It's been a delight. Oh my God. I'm, I'm over the moon over the fact that you are offering this work in the world. And it makes me feel so good. And I'm like, it makes me feel really grounded in this collective vision that is, that so many of us are awakening Mm -hmm. to and are working towards. So thank you for being a collaborator and a conspirator in the world. Yes. I like to call it our cosmic, we're on the same cosmic dream team. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so yeah. thank you as well. Yeah. It's such a yeah. delight. Yeah, yeah. You're so welcome. Um, all right. Where, what's your Instagram handle for people? Rachel Maddox, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-M-A-D-D-O-X. Perfect. Great. And everything else will be in the show notes. Maybe including, cool. we'll include a little photo of that. Fill up, feed me, use me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah, include a visual of that too. Of that anyway. Yeah. 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 I strongly, if you're a practitioner and you're looking for a real deep dive, I strongly recommend Rachel's work and Rachel's new program. I, and if there's space in it, get, get on that because she is hella talented. And if you want to do more trauma informed work, you got to give yourself the time and the space to do that growth. And she's someone that can expertly guide you through it. So get on it. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm excited <laughs> to see what happens for you next too. Oh, Thanks. Yeah. We're, you know, I'm listening. My heart is open. My hands are open to -hmm. both give and receive. And so I think that's the best place to be. Totally. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Well, there you go, my friends. That is Rachel Maddox, who is, I mean, you can tell why She's one of my main teachers right now, right? Uh, What do you even do with that? Other than just rejoice that she has done the work to step into her own medicine, to be the guide and the teacher that she is, and that we are privileged enough to see that in her and to see that as a, a mirror of what's possible, of what is possible for all of us when we step into our own medicine, into our own wholeness, into our own healing, when we embrace the mystery and the fertile soil of, uh, of our pain and then walk through it through support, through sport and regulation and come out on the other side. So the training program that 
she talked a little bit about actually is already beginning in January. It's absolutely sold out. So you can't register in that anymore, but her second book is coming out very soon. It is called Rebloom from Trauma to Trust in Sex, Love, and Society. And it's a series of soulful stories and practical guidance for sexual and emotional healing after trauma. And it is it is a system that now I've become a student of and that is absolutely brilliant. And you can pre-order it now. The link for that is in the show notes. And I highly, highly encourage you to get yourself a copy so that when it comes out, it can arrive to your mailbox and you can be ready to be transformed by it. For now, I thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I invite you to, if you're ready, tune into the next one or maybe better yet, take a break, get into your body, get yourself regulated, tend to what you need, pay attention. And then once you feel the call, return to the third episode interview in this series. The third interview is with Asha Frost, a brilliant indigenous healer and medicine woman and someone who is going to come on the podcast and really give us, um, take the perspective we've already been working with and then expand it even bigger to talk about her own relationship to trauma as a survivor of intergenerational trauma, institutional trauma, and how moving through those experiences, becoming really aware of her own trauma spells, waking up to her healing and her wounding has allowed her to step into her power and has amplified her leading and her leadership and her healing. And it is just a very, very potent interview that I'm so excited to share with you. And that's what's up next. Thank you for listening. Once again, please feel free to forward this to anyone you know, but especially to any healers or practitioners that want to have a more trauma-informed practice. I think this episode is specifically a very good one for them. And I would love to hear from you if you are interested in working together or connecting more. My coaching groups will be starting back up again in January and it would be lovely to engage with you and support you on your own journey to a more expanded wholeness where you own your darkness and your light and embody it all. I love you. I love you. I love you. Have a wonderful day.